Timothy 5, verse 17, where we will read through chapter 6, verse 10, the second to last message in an ongoing series here in Paul's letter to Timothy, his first letter to this young pastor in the city of Ephesus, where we learn so much about the church and how God calls us to live in his church. That's the purpose of the image that we've been seeing quite a bit over the last few months is um, not just an image, hopefully, of a church building, but, but I would hope that it would prompt you to think, um, how am I called to live in a church, in community with the people of God? And today we'll, we'll hear more great teaching from the Apostle Paul for Timothy, but it's not just intended for the pastor of that church in Ephesus. It is certainly intended also that the people of the congregation would hear these words, and uh, today we'll hear a familiar passage Actually, a passage that is occasionally quoted even by secular people at one point. And so, um, hopefully, we will grow in a correct understanding of God's Word as we read. And before we do so, I'd like to pray, and let's do that now. Lord, nothing we desire compares with you. Your presence is healing, is wonderful, is is our heart's desire today. And so, God, we pray that, that you would be present not just among us, but even within us as we hear your word. Oh, God, your word is a treasure that we now have an opportunity to open and, and look into. And God, we pray that we would receive it as, as the amazing gift that it is. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart would be pleasing in your sight, and that this church would be built up in faith in Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 1 Timothy 5, starting at verse 17. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. Do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in, all the, in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus and of the elect angels, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging doing nothing from partiality. Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. The sins of some people are conspicuous, going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are cannot remain hidden. Let all who are under a yoke as bondservants regard their own masters as worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. Those who have believing masters must not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers. Rather, they must serve all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. Teach and urge these things. 
If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. What does it mean to have a blessed life? What does it look like to be blessed as a Christian with a life of contentment, of satisfaction, of enjoyment? I'd like to begin with a description of Christian ministry that I believe captures a spirit of contentment. What Paul is teaching to Timothy that he is called into, and what Paul is teaching the Christian today also, what we are called into as well. I recently heard from a Christian Reformed missionary who is serving in Kenya with Resonant Global Mission. It was an interview where this missionary, pastor, was describing what it's like to be a pastor in Kenya. So to become a pastor in Kenya, and at least in the area where this missionary is serving, to become a pastor in that context is to become poor. Many people in this area of Kenya have to work multiple jobs in order to make ends meet. And so it's assumed that pastors will not make a living from being ministers in the church. They'll receive a salary, but But being in a place where there's so much poverty, that salary is so small that the minister needs to be what is called bivocational, needs another job. And so it's assumed that 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 pastor's job would be a full-time job outside of the church. And so the pastor typically has this full-time job spending much of his time doing that work and then is really only paid the equivalent of a few dollars a month by the congregation. In fact, the financial stability of pastors in this area of Kenya is is so tenuous that it often becomes a conflict in families if a young woman says to her parents she is going to marry a pastor. uh, That's almost like throwing your life away in the mind of, of some parents who would like for their daughters to have a life of prosperity and of wealth. And so uh, this minister who serves in Kenya says a lot of times he's actually helping families with some, some conflict and tension in their families because the life that, that the, uh, the woman is called into is at times going to be difficult, involving a lot of hard work. And so to accept a pastoral call is a demanding 
sacrificial calling. So why would anyone become a minister in those circumstances? Why would these men and their families adopt that lifestyle or even seek out that way of life? Because they love the Lord. Because they're content with what the Lord will provide. With that approach to ministry, many of these Kenyan pastors are so encouraged by the few dollars they receive each month from their congregation, recognizing that it's a huge sacrifice for the poor people in their church to give their money to support their pastor as he does his work. So I ask again, what does it mean to be blessed? What does it mean to be content What does it mean to be satisfied? It means that, like those faithful Kenyan pastors, you are called to be content to believe what God says and to go where God sends. To believe what God says and to go where He sends. So for some of you, that will be that God sends you into a life of humble service to Him of faithfulness to Christ, a life of hard work. For others, are also called into a life of hard work that leads to financial prosperity. Also, you too are called to believe what God says and to go where He sends. To be content is to say, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Whether you are rich or poor, or somewhere in between. To to be content is to uh, recite the Apostles' Creed. And, And just thinking of that final stanza of the Creed, to be content with life in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, to be content with the forgiveness of sins, the life everlasting, the resurrection of the body, to be content with those truths that they are true and being fulfilled in the world. So you'll likely, or we, we've heard Paul say in this passage, godliness with contentment is great gain. And he says that in contrast to the thinking where, where people are striving after a kind of contentment that's built on earthly things. But he corrects that by saying, no, it's, it's godliness you're seeking. And if you have this godliness, then you'll be content in Christ. Now, it's likely that you think of godliness as a set of good behaviors, and certainly a godly person will behave in a way that is Christian and like Christ. But this this term of godliness also captures a disposition of the heart. So it's not just in our behavior, but it's in our attitude, in our countenance, in our spirit. Someone who is godly doesn't just act like Jesus in a superficial way. But a godly person truly knows Christ, and therefore a godly person is content. And this godliness with contentment, contentment, Paul says, is great gain. That's the gain that the Christian is looking for throughout your life, to grow in godliness. For the past several months, Pastor Zach and I have been preaching through the book of Acts in the evening services here at Ammon Valley, and that will continue tonight. And I have been so struck by how in the book of Acts, 
the topic of money comes up so regularly, of how people in the early church think about money and their possessions, and how there are some cautionary tales in the book of Acts about concerning money in the church, and also some inspirational stories as well. For example, in Acts chapter 2, verse 45, we find the description where the people of God are counting their spiritual blessings in Christ as more valuable than the physical blessings God has given them. So we have this description that they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Shortly after this, we find a serious cautionary tale where Ananias and Sapphira grieve the Holy Spirit. In what way? They lie, but but their problem is that they're lying about the money that they've given to the church. Their seeming generosity is actually fueled by selfishness, by greed. They don't find their contentment in Christ, but they find their contentment in seeming like generous people in the church. So they're judged for it. A little bit later, there's a man named Simon, the sorcerer, who sees the apostles preaching and teaching with power and even doing miracles. And Simon, the sorcerer, approaches the apostles and he asks, how much money could I pay you to have this gift for myself as well? You can see there thinking that, that, that Simon believes that with money he can purchase something in the church, some spiritual blessing. Why would there be all this attention on money in the book of Acts? Certainly there's attention on, on correct teaching and, of course, on the resurrection of Christ, but, but the theme of money being woven through that book of Acts is, is noteworthy. Why would that be the case? Because since its birth, the love of money has been a threat to the purity and productivity of the church. The love of money has been a threat to the effectiveness of every congregation that has ever been. And we know this to be true. In our heart of hearts, we know the feeling that we get when we turn on the TV and hear of the prosperity gospel preacher who is asking for your money so that he might have designer clothing or a new jet or a more impressive church building. Why is that so offensive? Hopefully it's not offensive because you want those things for yourself. (laughs) I think that sometimes people, especially in the secular world, are offended by those things because a lot of those prosperity gospel preachers get those things and people want those things for themselves. That's not the reason the Christian is offended. But we're offended because that is so far from the message of Christ. It is so far from what the gospel is actually about. Godliness with contentment. Seeking Christ, knowing Christ, receiving the spiritual blessing of the forgiveness of sins. Being crucified with Christ. So that it's no longer we who live, but Christ who lives in us. That health and wealth, prosperity gospel is so far away from the true gospel that the Apostle Paul would say, it's no gospel at all. Not only do we preach Christ crucified, but we proclaim that if you 
are made spiritually new by the grace of God, you will experience a contentment in this life that doesn't need that kind of prosperity that those health and wealth preachers are offering to you or are falsely promising you. Again, the Kenyan pastors challenge that false gospel, don't they? Those Kenyan pastors inspire me because they prove that God's promise is fulfilled, that godliness with contentment is great gain, and that it's available for the Christian in this world because Jesus is enough, because the gospel is enough. You have more than enough in Christ to be joyful in this life. Now, do you recall that as I was reading, there's also this little passage in the middle of the text that we read that dealt with servants and masters. And there, in that part of the passage, there was an encouragement that that servants should serve masters in a way that would be a blessing to them, and that that masters should should look to to servants to to care for them and and be respectful to them in, in how they lead them. So I find this to be a great addition in the middle of this passage where Paul started by talking about money in the church and how money is used and then concluded by um, also addressing the particular topic of money. And in the middle, Paul has a call for, for hard work, for a right relationship between, we could say in today's terms, employer and employee. And, and I find it to be a great addition to the text because Paul doesn't just want us to be thinking about money itself, but also about the work ethic that is attached to this matter of money and contentment. And so Paul is saying there in that middle section that regardless of a person's economic status, the Christian is called not only to contentment, but to to work hard, to act honorably, to seek um, not just to, to bless other people financially with money, but to bless people with our effort, which in your workplace that takes the form of being reliable working hard, being respectful, being helpful. And all of those virtues come from contentment in Christ. That the person who is content, who is, is filled up with the virtues of Christ, goes then into your workplace or into what you're involved in in your retirement years, however you, you might be spending your time productively, goes into those scenarios and situations as being a content person who goes somewhere to bless others regardless of how much money you're getting from it or how much encouragement even you're getting from those activities. In the last few weeks, a new phrase has been mentioned by various news outlets and I've been seeing a few articles come up in some social media feeds. This new phrase called Bare Minimum Mondays. I don't know if maybe some of you have perhaps seen this as well. Bare Minimum Mondays. Now, this is the idea that, particularly people, I think, in, in my generation, I'm sorry, um, and probably younger as well, have this attitude where they don't think, feel like they're getting enough from their employer. They don't feel like they're getting enough rest during the two days of their weekend. And so they would do the bare minimum on Monday just to show up for work, stay kind of checked out, do whatever they want while they're on the clock, and essentially just do the bare minimum with very little effort. And this is a way for these people in our culture to signal that 
that they don't like the situation they're in and they're kind of um, undertaking some disobedience, (laughs) some rebellious behavior as a result of that. Bare minimum Mondays. The Christian cannot think this way. The Christian cannot live this way. The Christian should be known as someone who puts in full effort, who is generous not just with um, the dollars and cents with the financial side, but generous also with our effort, reliable, working with integrity, being an industrious person. I'm so thankful that it is so often here at Ammon Valley that during funeral services of, of saints who have passed away as members of our congregation, uh, thinking of Francis Grun in this case, we can look back on the life of a man who was truly industrious, a hard worker, and person after person who we have laid to rest, having been a member of this church, men and women who have worked hard for the Lord in sometimes positions that have led to prosperity and other times positions that have not led to a lot of physical, uh, financial blessing in this world. But regardless, godliness with contentment was great gain for them. Work is a good thing, brothers and sisters. Work is something that God gave as a gift to humanity before sin entered the world. It is good for us to do work. It's good for us to be industrious, regardless of your pay scale, regardless of your retirement status. It's good for us to wake up in the morning with something important to do in God's kingdom for his name's sake. If you are content in your work, the gain that you draw from your labor will be so much greater than a paycheck. If you're content in the Lord as you do your work, the, the uh, benefit that you draw from your work will be a closer relationship with the Lord even. If you're content as you do your work, you will be a blessing to other people. And you'll be known, again, whether you're at the top of the, uh, the company or the be a base level employee, you will be known as someone who is a joy to work with. So if you struggle in this way to be content, and not just with the things you have, but with to be content with the lot that God has given you. If, you. if you know you struggle and you are coveting a lot, the life of somebody else, the possessions of somebody else, if you know that you struggle and uh, the Spirit is is prompting you to to think very seriously about this today, I do ask and, and even plead with you, like what the Apostle Paul does, to continue taking it seriously. It's common in the church to think of the big sins as greed and envy and adultery and covetousness sort of false teaching, those are the, the big damaging sins that people get caught up in. But, but he, Paul is very serious also about this lack of contentment. It might not be on our radar in terms of the big sins that would ruin our lives, but, but Paul actually uses very strong language in warning the people in Ephesus about this danger. Towards the end, in, in the last verse of what we read, it is through this craving the craving for more, the craving for now, the craving for getting my way. 
It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Again, we need to take this sin and this temptation very seriously. You should take it so seriously that you need to pray about this regularly. O Lord, make me content in you with what I have from you. This should be something you pray for even around the dinner table as a family, teaching children to be content with what God has provided. Something that perhaps you can pray as you get started with work each day. Lord, help me to be content with what you call me to do today. To believe what you've said and to go where you send. This is going to take work. In in our culture that bombards us with messages of discontentment, This takes a concerted effort, an intentional effort from the Christian to remain content in the Lord. We should take it so seriously that you are reading books about Christian contentment, that you are praying about contentment, that you enter into worship asking that the Lord would help you to grow in your sense of contentment in Him, being satisfied in Christ. If you know that this is a struggle for you, or maybe even if it's not a big struggle, but you know that the temptation is there for you, I cannot recommend to you highly enough the great Puritan work, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, a book that's about 100 pages long and deals with all of the different areas where our spiritual enemy attempts to invade our contentment. The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs, written in the mid-1600s. In Philippians 4, verse 11, which is a central passage for this book, the Apostle Paul wrote, I have learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. I have learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. What is Paul saying there? He's saying something that we could miss if we're not careful to pay attention. He's saying he is learning how to be content. And so he's putting effort into seeking contentment in Christ so that he might be satisfied in all circumstances with God's provision. So by this, he meant that he is training his mind to turn to the Lord when he faces difficulty. He's learning the secret. And and sometimes we focus on that word of the secret and what that might be, but I think we should pay more attention to the learning side to say we need to train our minds and be intentional about saying no to the enemies, call to discontentment, to complaining, to grumbling like Israel in the wilderness, And training our minds to say, God is enough, the gospel is enough, forgiveness for me and the promise of eternal life is enough for me today. So Paul learned the secret of being content in all circumstances. So, this did not always make his hardships go away. It often didn't change his external situation, what was happening around him, but but something changed in Paul's heart so that he was guarded, his mind and heart guarded in Christ Jesus, so that he would be at peace. So, are you learning the secret of being content in all circumstances? Are you putting effort into Christian contentment? What you consume in terms of knowledge, 
This is through media, through news, through podcasts, through conversations. Is that pulling you into a life of of greater peace in Christ and hope? Or is that putting you further away from Christian contentment and causing you to fear, to worry, to be upset about what's going on in the world or in the church or in your family? Are you training your mind towards being satisfied in Christ? Or is your mind being moved far too often towards discouragement, greed, covetousness, envy? Just to close, I want to read a passage from that great book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment by Jeremiah Burroughs. He writes about how you can tell if you're content in the Lord or if maybe today you might be happy because there's some good circumstances in your life, but your happiness and joy is more based on those circumstances than something that's deep with inside, inside you. So, if you're satisfied with the Lord, there is an internal change that God has worked in you that will last through difficulty. And he eloquently teaches how the internal change is far superior to having things go your way outside of you. It's a longer quote, and I have it on the screen behind me so that you can follow. Burroughs wrote, Being content because of some external matter is like wearing clothes warmed by fire. But being content because of the inward attitude of the soul is like the warmth that a man's clothes have from the natural heat of his body. A healthy man gets dressed, and perhaps on a cold morning his clothes feel cold. They are soon warmed by his body heat. But if a sickly man gets dressed, his clothes do not get warm even after a long time. He must warm them by the fire, and even so, they will soon be cold again. So it is with contentment. Some are very grace-filled. And so when misfortune comes, though at first it seems chilling, after a while their attitude makes it easy. Brothers and sisters, that is a true statement. It might not seem true if you're in the middle of a struggle of hardship right now, but it is absolutely true. Thinking of those Kenyan pastors, thinking of the saints through the ages, this is a true statement. Their attitude can make it bearable. They are quiet about it and do not complain of any discontent. Others do not have this good attitude, so misfortune is very cold and troubling to them. Maybe you can persuade them to be happy, like the fire that heats the clothes. They will be calm for a while, but sadly, if they lack a grace-filled attitude, the warmth will not last long. When it comes from one's spirit, that is true contentment. Amen? Amen.